Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast, linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we welcome back Core Hookstra. Uh, Core is the CEO of Amicus Solutions, and it is a continuation of what I thought was a fantastic conversation last week. So, really enjoyed all aspects of it. I like the new business format, and or not the business format, just the new format of the podcast. Gotten some positive feedback from some of y'all so far. So glad you're enjoying it. This week again, we continue the conversation with Core around Amicus and his personal life. So those those kind of details go back into <coughs> where we wrapped up that last one. I really wanted to find out um, in that, that free fall that he explained, what was that like? What does it feel like as an entrepreneur to kind of be fallen without really anything to grab a hold of? Um, uh, wanted to kind of explore the whole money situation of the startup, how it starts to dry up as well. Um, how does he prepare financially? Um, how does the family support both the kids and the wife? Um, and then what's it like for him to have become a CEO, right? I mean, he, he spent his lifetime in software and, and transitioned over into software sales, but now, now he's a CEO of a startup and they've got 12 employees and they're going to have more. So what's that like and what prepared core most for that role? So anyway, it's just that whole exploration, continued, um, continued exploration of, uh, core the individual how he's kind of grown from that deep dark hole or that flight um, free fall that he was in last year to where he expects to need to be you know this year and um, years into the future as well so really good conversation i hope you'll enjoy it and thanks again for listening to another episode of the charlotte angel connection so core thanks so much for sticking around for part two excited about continuing our conversation glad to be here so you had one of the greatest analogies I've had on this podcast so far, um, not over the course of now 60 episodes. Uh, the flight of the entrepreneur starts off as a free fall. So, and when you jump out of the plane as an entrepreneur, to stick with your analogy, what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, you actually feel like you're flying, but you're not. You're just about to start to fall. Um, what's that free fall when you're actually when the excitement is worn off that you've actually started the business or you're, you're doing X, Y, Z when the, when the so-called shit hits the fan and you're actually in free fall mode until you get that lift, what's that like? Or not, what was that like for you? And if it, if you can bring in the family aspect of it at all, um, and the go at home factor, that's great too. I'll, um, it's a great question. Um, and I'll, I'll start with the family aspect, um, which is probably the best way that I can answer this, this, this question. So my girls, my uh, sweet wife and my daughter, she's 23 now. Yeah. Uh, her, her nickname is Buttercup, but <laughs> we, we won't go there. Um, they, used to, they used to joke and they, said, they, they would say, dad needs a GPS. 
he is lost. Yeah. And that is truly what it was like. Um, I felt lost and feeling lost um, for me kind of was accompanied by um, kind of a sense of losing your identity. Um, when you work, and in my particular case, in enterprise software uh, for well over a decade with uh, within basically the same business, uh, the first eight years I sold software uh, for Oracle, the, the second four years or subsequent four years, I sold consulting services to implement those Oracle services. Your name becomes a brand. And when you then step away from that, and when you step away from large corporate environments to literally three guys and a dog, and the dog was my wife's, by the way. Yeah. Um, it is a, it's a massive transition. In the, in the large corporate environment, let's call it a circus. I knew how to orchestrate the circus. I knew how to get things done. I was a rainmaker, and I knew how to do that. In the, in the context of a startup, you have no support. You have an idea. When you get repeatedly punched in the nose um, by the people that you are seeking to, that you approach for fundraising purposes, uh, there's an element of doubt uh, that sets in, and of course, an element of rejection. So, in short, that feeling of free-falling is not pleasant. Um, wouldn't recommend it. Yet, it is an integral part, I think, of, uh, of becoming an entrepreneur. And what I'm getting at is this. There is such a thing as the further journey. Not a term that I coined. Uh, Richard Rohr is a... Uh, is a fairly well-known author, uh, Jesuit priest, in fact. And it's typically a some crisis, like you can think of Homer, right, um, that sets a person on the further journey. And this is the, the transition from having a job to having a vocation, which has a sense of calling or bigger purpose associated with that. And so as you go through that period of transition where you feel lost and you feel like the person that, you know, the identity that you had assumed, you go through a period where, in essence, and this may sound esoteric, um, but it's becoming who you are. And I think a lot of everyone has a natural gifting and a bent. In fact, as a parent, I think one of your primary responsibilities is to uncover the bent of your kid, of mm. your kid, and then encourage them to go and pursue that. As adults, we oftentimes get disconnected from that bent that we had and from that natural gifting. And so when you go through um, a transformation period like that, it's an opportunity to reconnect with that. And that's not an easy process. Um, it's a lonely process. It's a very lonely process. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a necessary process. And with that, as you 
it's almost like the transformation like of um, you know a caterpillar into a butterfly yeah there's again back to the analogy that you as you unpop you start to fly there's and what I mean by that there's a sense of freedom mm-hmm. um, associated with that which is an inner freedom and so between the the conviction that you have when you start a business because and then Roselli says this many times if your intent is not to change the world pack up your bags and go home yeah right so the conviction combined with a perseverance to see that through to get to the other side of that tunnel um, is is well worth it um, it's hard um, and when you have that um, kind of inner gestalt let's call it that it really doesn't matter how many setbacks you experience um, because you operate from a place of inner strength and from knowing an inner knowing that you are doing what you're supposed to do and it doesn't matter if you fail like one of the fav- my f- favorite sayings and this is actually displayed on a big poster in the uh, Stanford Innovation Lab it says there is no um, there is no fail there's only uh, there is no win there is only make and so as an entrepreneur you are making something right you can fail fast but that simply means you got to try a different angle yeah um, and so um, and that by the way was is, is a quote that's attributed to sister Coretta Kent I believe um, but it's very significant right because um, when you start a business and you're not necessarily focused on the liquidity event but truly as a social entrepreneur you're focused on a longer term ta- like a longer term outcome what you have to do is you you simply put one foot in front of the other now it's often like you look up and you're on the side of the mountain and it's just a very narrow path that's carved out on the side of that mountain when you look down you look straight down into a cliff yeah there are no when, rolling pastures when you look up you look you see the summit but it's pretty high towering all over you and so the key is to stay keep your focus on the path and put simply one foot in front of the other and as you engage and as you are supported by community and as you are talking to prospective clients things simply unfold in ways that you could have never planned yeah. but it's half the battle is simply showing up yeah. and then to be attentive right to be conscious of the environment that you're operating in so um, we'll stick kind of in this range for a second you jump out of the plane you kind of feel like you're flying I would imagine through the QC FinTech Accelerator program because things are happening you've got hand holding um, and then you come out of that program in May of last year um, and I would imagine for the next six to nine months that's kind of your free fall territory is that fair where you kind of, is that where 
Is that where you felt lonely? It was even during the QC FinTech. Was time. it? Yeah, because both my co-founders are in Vancouver, Canada. Um, we had, um, I basically was the only one in, uh, the only person representing uh, Amicus Here in, in, Charlotte. in Charlotte. And we had not hired our chief product officer, Beth Katz. Um, actually, that's not true. We did, we did hire her, but she was in Israel. Yeah. Right? So we are truly a distributed company. Yeah. Um, there was a time, like after graduating from QC FinTech in June, where I mostly worked from my home office. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, that absolutely got lonely because that predominantly was a time where we were building out the product and we didn't have any clients as of yet. So that's where, you know, uh, doubt does set in. And so that's also typically when you know, the fuel gets really low. I was about to say, so <laughs> the, the finding yourself and the make and all of that stuff, mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier to say today than it was six months ago, right? Mm -hmm. So, because in, in that range, you know, you're, and fuel, we'll talk about the finance fuel of it, right? I mean, there's always the money component. I mean, you're sitting here, you're trying to do everything, and every day you see the fuel getting lower and lower. Um, how do you handle that? Um, because you're finding yourself, you're feeling good, but you've got self-doubt, you're lonely, and then there's, there's the reality that everything in the world takes money. Um, and you're watching it, you're watching it go away slowly. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two answers. Um, you freak out. <laughs> 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 All right, that's and, what I was looking for. Yeah, you freak out and and you exercise hard. Yeah, <laughs> to to regain a, a sense of calm. I mean, let's be real. Um, anyone that gives you a canned answer is lying through their teeth. Yeah. Um, there's moments as you you simply you panic. Yeah. Um, and. It's we were fortunate in the sense that um, the founders never all panicked at the same time. Yeah, really. So we were able to basically lift one another up yeah. and talk one another off the ledge. Yeah, and we took turns freaking out. Um, but it simply evened out and. Um, you know, you, you you just keep on keeping on. How do you prepare financially to be an entrepreneur? You don't. <laughs> you don't. Uh, you know, in our case, you know, it was um, it was a unique time period in my career, in our life, uh, in the sense that we had just launched both our kids, yeah. which, which I think is the secondary responsibility of a parent, but this is not a podcast on parenting. Yeah. Um, we launched them in the sense that uh, we put them through college, um, very proud of that, um, and they both found jobs. Um, Stephen lives in Dallas, Texas, and Julia, our daughter, in the Tampa Bay area. That um, provided a period where we started a new chapter, like for my wife, Monica, and myself, but also it 
allowed kind of a, a, a period of financial relief. Yeah. Um, you mean kids cost money? Yeah, some. <laughs> so. um, but they're well worth it. Yeah. So um, it we basically, you know, uh, capitalized on that moment because if I had um, if I hadn't, you know, taken that step at that particular time, I probably wouldn't have, you know, done it. Yeah. So what's it what's it been like for your kids to see dad the entrepreneur? Um, or what did, maybe we'll flip that. What's it been like for you to show your kids, Dad, the entrepreneur, right? The guy that believed in something um, and had the conviction and courage to jump out of the plane and chase it. Well, we'll stick with your first question. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll try to kind of keep it together here. Um, the kids have been um, very supportive um, but you know in the sense of uh, you know kids these days express everything yeah. <laughs> via social media where it's been so humbling um, to have your <clears throat> your own kids as your biggest cheerleaders yeah um, and so you know, when when they put stuff on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter in the way that only your kids would, um, it, it's, it, it just makes your heart smile. Yeah. Um, your second question, um, it's, you know, your kids watch you like a hawk. I mean, they do that regardless, no matter what stage in life. But especially when you step out uh, in a moment like this, they uh, they really not only watch you but they also are very mindful to to offer encouragement in times when you're down and when you freak out or you have a moment of self-doubt um but it is uh it is a kind of a, a moment um and life is but a series of moments to to basically practice what you preach in the sense that Pursue your dream. Um, be present. Be present here and now. Don't wait for tomorrow. And pardon my French, damn the consequences. Yeah. Right? Um, because we only have today. Um, we are taught, I think, to, you know, or, or apply our time with wisdom. And uh, to have an opportunity to... Uh, to showcase that, not knowing the outcome, right? Um, that's pretty unique. Yeah. Um, one more family question, then I want to get back to Core, the, the CEO. Um, what um, What's it meant for your relationship back home with Monica? Um, I would imagine she's been a huge champion and supporter. We. It's a great question. We are we are closer than ever before. Yeah. Um, you know, it. it she is herself um, an entrepreneur in the sense that she is an artist of movement. She used to be a classical ballerina uh, and has been in the world of Pilates, but she went 
in her business. So she runs a Pilates, classical Pilates studio. Okay. Um, we'll give her a little plug, Absolute Pilates. Look it up. Phillips, Where is it? Yeah, Philip's place. Okay. Um, the She went through a redo herself. She had been teaching, uh, you know, a... a contemporary form of Pilates for 10 years and then found the original teachings um, and it took a lot of courage on her part. I supported her the best way I could uh, through that and she, you know, has been very supportive here and as a result we are walking together and not just figuratively, we are, you know, we now for the first time in 15 years have a chance to walk together in the evenings. Yeah. Um, I rediscovered kind of a, a passion for cooking. Okay. And um, to cook for her and to sleep in my own bed is uh, is a newfound treasure. Yeah, no, I bet. So um, newfound also a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that trend? I mean, you know, you've worked, you've been in sales, you've been in the consulting world. Um, you're now setting vision and pulling strings and doing all the things the CEO has to do. Mm-hmm. Um, how easy has that transition been? Um, it's, 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 been a, it's been challenging because um, as, C, as CEO, I think first and foremost, I'm, I'm a huge believer in servant leadership. And so you are there to support and serve the, the team that, that you know, you're in the process that you've assembled, assembled and in the process of assembling. Um, with that, you know, comes obviously a huge responsibility to that you are, you know, just very, very keenly aware of to your shareholders, to your customers, to your employees, to your board members, and to your family. Yeah. And in that context, everyone has an opinion. And a lot of people have no hesitations expressing those opinions. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, you know, as CEO, you are the one that is making, hopefully most of the time, informed decisions. But in the context of a startup, mostly decisions with, without the support of data. And so that is most certainly a challenge. And with it also is a, is, a, is a tremendous opportunity in the sense that you get to set the tone of your company's culture, of the values as to how people relate to one another, how work gets done, and what you stand for, not just as an individual, but also as a company. And so being able to shape that and be intentional about that is a tremendous privilege and responsibility. I bet. What prepared you most um, for this role? What training along the way? Was it school? Was it a specific, um, was it running the nonprofit straight out of school? What, What prepared you most to be a CEO of a startup? Um, I think just school of hard knocks, um, experiencing failure often, um, 
And in what context? In the corporate world, what failure? Failure, uh, both business and, and personal. Uh, in the corporate context, um, you know, the things that, you know, obviously high-charged environments, yep. um, you're not achieving your personal goals, uh, you're not, um, you lose a multi-million dollar opportunity, um, the, a product that you, you've been working on very diligently to bring it to market flops, yep. um, there's numerous examples. The thing that perhaps has prepared me most is the the transition that I made to sales while I was at Oracle. It's kind of a it's it's kind of a perhaps a good story, and it's not just a story; it's reality, in the sense that I perhaps in my fourth year at Oracle. So can't do the math right now, but that is approximately. 10 years ago now, I, I had this dream and vision to be one day a CEO of a small software company. I had never envisioned you know, that we would be trying to you know, do what we do today in the context of Amicus, but yeah. I had this idea of perhaps a more traditional software company <laughs> or a business unit. Something that was already established. Yeah, something yeah. that was established, but it dawned on me that in order to be an effective CEO, I had to master sales. And I had been in software my entire career, 15 years up to that point, and I had avoided sales. Um, I don't want to say like a plague, but I will do it because software salespeople are worse than car salespeople. <laughs> hopefully, so don't, I have, hopefully they don't have I, any software I, sales guys on the call. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, yeah. and I'm a software sales guy, so yeah. I am allowed to say that. Yeah. Um, when I realized that, I, I made a transition, and overnight, I was running uh, basically a, a group uh, of, you know, a team within Oracle that was was fairly large, and became overnight an individual contributor. Um, and I had assigned to me, this was at Oracle, 12 accounts, and uh, my only instruction was go make rent. I had no idea what I was doing. It took me a full year to get to my first software deal. And then I started hitting my stride. So the reason I go there is because I, I truly can say that being an account executive um, and becoming proficient in that because sales is an art form, right? So I will, you know, elevate it. I, I will elevate it. To be a good salesperson, anyone can give stuff away. But to be a good salesperson, it requires um, being able to make relate establish relationships at the highest levels in the organization because people buy from people. Yep. And my philosophy in sales is that people um, buy based on emotional connection supported by data, not the other way around. So the ability to tell stories, the ability to relate to your audience, the, the ability to connect is key. 
And you only learn that through frequently falling just flat on your nose. And so that experience, both at Oracle and IBM, uh, is probably what has been the best kind of taskmaster to, to get me to you know where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. You recently, so kind of pivot for a second, and we're kind of five to six, seven minutes away mm-hmm. from kind of wrapping up here on part two. Sure. Um, and again, we go forever here. I've, you keep feeding me good, good opportunities. You've recently hired a new employee. Um, so I believe you onboarded her yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's not a 22-year-old student out of college. She's a top-level person that joined um, you and is following mm-hmm. your mission. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you attract just a super high-talent person? What do you, I mean, so you're still clipping trees and you're still low on fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going in and you're trying to attracting super good talent to come on board. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a good sales guy. <laughs> well, this goes back to a point that I that I made earlier, and uh, again, I I say this humbly. Um, your name becomes your brand, and people observe you over long periods of time in you know the places that you work even as you go from company to company. So they, they know what you stand for. And I have been fortunate to, to work uh, with people that are the utmost professional. Uh, they, they are best in class. And um, we, you know, you talked about the individual that we onboarded yesterday, which was a, a former top sales consultant at at Oracle, the it it's that connection that I just touched upon. Connection in the sense of uh, this person truly identifies with the vision and mission and values of Amicus and that what we set out to do. Um, but there's also a interpersonal connection where we've established a bond where I any day would you know go out in the trenches with this person and um, she would have my back and vice versa. Um, We're, and this is something that I did not mention, we also attracted um, my former right-hand lieutenant from IBM uh, to run professional services. Okay. Um, And that's, that's pivotal at this stage in the company in the sense that you need to be able to attract people and surround yourself with people that that you can trust, that you can delegate, and you know, as you continue to build. So, um, salary plus equity, salary only. How are you compensating folks to this level? And if you're not comfortable talking, that's fine too. No, no, it's, it's perfectly fine. We're we're no different than any other startup yeah. in the sense that equity is a, a substantial portion of compensation, um, because. You know, we need to be very conservative and from a cash perspective and capital efficient. Okay. Um, how many folks do you have on board now? So um, it keeps changing very rapidly, which is a good thing. 
We have 10 people in Tel Aviv, Israel. We now have... And they are employees or do you... They are employees. Did you set up... Do you have a Tel Aviv... Do you have an Israel-based company? So we... Uh, so Amicus is a... So the short answer is yes. Yes. Um, wholly owned subsidiary um, of Amicus Canada, which okay. is the parent. There's Amicus US, okay. uh, which is headquarters, yeah. which is right here in Charlotte. Um, the... Uh, total count now is 12, 13 if I include myself, um, and soon within, I would say, the end, by end of July, we will be at 15. Okay. Raising money currently or no? Yes. You are? Yes. <clears throat> um, terms or no terms? Terms, preferred round. Uh, we are raising four million uh, net new cash. Uh, to date, we have raised two point five. Okay. And we are seeking to close that round by the end of July. Okay. Also, you're you're closing in on it. So, what is um, what? And we're running out, but I'm gonna run us a little longer just for shits and giggles. Um, what does that do for you? So, what is so? Um, where does that take the business? So what will allow you to do? Yeah, it, it basically allows us to uh, commercialize um, the uh, the platform, and it allows us to hire our first uh, salespeople. Okay. Um, the best capital that you can raise, and this is true for any uh, startup, is revenue. It's non-dilutive capital. Yes, it is. And so we have. Back to your uh, question in part one, have you made it? We've made it in the sense that we've proven out our business model and we've proven out the market. You're validated. We're validated. So we have our first bank customer. We have our first um, community foundation customer. And we also, we actually went live with the first uh, so-called DAF, Donor Advice Fund sponsor, which is focused on impact investing, a foundation called Impact Investing. So... um, we, based on all those things, right, um, we are now, this. what this capital will allow us to do is to, to get to break even based on our pro forma and projected uh, uh, financials and, you know, the traction that we have made, that we have from a sales perspective. And so we're targeted to get to break even by 19 um, in such a way that we're not contemplating any future rounds at this time. Okay. Um, interesting. I was, I was, you took my next question from me. So, um, uh, what um, customer-wise, where do you see yourselves? So you've got one bank, one community foundation, um, and one other. Where do you see yourself at the end of the year? Um, I see ourselves uh, to uh, to a place where. Uh, we will be close, uh, likely just short of a million dollars in revenue. Okay. And which is great. Which is fantastic. Um, we will have um, basically, you know, a half a dozen customers. Okay. In our target market segments, as we talked about earlier. So that's fantastic. That's been a, um, you know, just overnight, right? Just like that. Zero to 12 customers. Just like like that. You jump and go. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but it's been fun. I mean, you know, um, I've enjoyed 
kind of weaving in and out the personal as well as the business aspect of it. Again, I've seen you since February or March of 2017. Um, you've always looked relaxed. Um, I don't know if you know that about yourself, but you do. You always look relaxed, but you look particularly more relaxed today than you did maybe six months ago. So congrats to you and the team. Um, keep up the good work. Um, I'd love to circle back around with you at some point in the next 12 to 24 months yeah, and talk about more key successes. Sure. Welcome that opportunity. So thank you very much, William. So um, well, cool. Well, thanks again, Core. I appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day and um, and keep knocking down those doors. Likewise. Again, a great interview with Core. I thought uh, was just a, a really fantastic discussion of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Um, <clears throat> certainly important to know from an investor perspective because you need to know where. Um, What's that like? What are you investing into? How does it feel? So really, really good conversation. Enjoyed the, you know, the flight of the entrepreneur analogy that he gave. Was really uh, interested uh, or interesting comment that none of the founders panicked at the same time. I thought that was a, um, or have panicked at the same time to date. And there'll be more panics in the future, right? There, there are always holes to plug in any business, including a startup. So, uh Really neat to hear the support that he's had from the, from the family as well, um, the girls and his wife, and just a, a really good, clean conversation. Obviously, wish nothing but the best of luck for Core heading into the future as he closes up this fundraising round and as he continues to launch this business that can have a great, great global impact. So enjoyed having him on the show next week. We'll transition over. We've got Scott Pope. Scott's trying to bring a little bit more of a healthcare focus to Charlotte um, and the startup scene. So not necessarily on the pharmaceutical or the medical device space, but on the business side of healthcare. So really, really good interview with Scott. Scott's been working on this for the course of the last nine months at bare minimum and certainly a little bit longer than that as well. So he's positioned to do some really fun, neat things, and I'm happy to bring Scott to the podcast next week. So please stick around for next week's episode of the Charlotte Angel Connection. William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey and Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey and Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey and Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.